0: to The Journey podcast. The Journey is a college and young adult ministry of South Crest Baptist Church. We hope this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen, y'all can be seated. Hey guys, can you put those last lyrics that were up on the board? Like, um, will you meet me here again? Is that a question? Is that gonna throw us off too much? If it does... It's like over the graphics, sorry. I pulled the curveball, I didn't ask them to do that. Thank you so much. It's all, all I want, it's all you are. And really, would you say, will you meet me here again? I and mean, if we were like writing a sentence, writing an essay, maybe put a question mark, right? If it wasn't, do y'all know the answer to that question? Like when we ask God, will you meet me here again? You know what the answer is for his people? What's the answer? Yes, amen, right? Yes, that's true. When God's people gather like this, the answer to that question is yes. He, he will meet us. Isn't that beautiful? And so every single week when we gather, we open up his word, we sing praises to God, and we sing truths from his word to him, and he, and he meets us in worship. It's a beautiful thing. So if you're wondering if that felt like a cliffhanger to you, let me just answer it for you. Yes, he is here. He has met us in this place. Hey, I was thinking this week, um about some times in my life um maybe some experiences you would say that kind of left me in awe like one of those things where like hey there there are some really cool things that happen, but there are some things that are on like kind of a next level you sort of enter into this man you're just like man I don't think I'm going to experience this type of of just glorious uh, beauty, um, amazing type things many times in my life. For, for, for many of you, I'm sure you, you've maybe have encountered that uh, in some uh, time in your hashtag journey in the Christian faith. Um, like Maybe it's been a camp or something. Maybe there's been just an amazing Tuesday night with a speaker who was just blowing. I'm just joking. Um, you've had an experience where you kind of laughed in that moment, like, wow, that was incredible. And one of those things for me, I, I would say, I'm going to share two um, on May 6th, 2020, which is getting to already be three months ago, um, Eleanor Jean Rhodes was born into this earth. Um, yeah, yeah, I get a whistle. She's, she's growing, a beautiful little girl, um, and, and crying plenty enough for us. Like, just so let know, she is a baby. She's not grown up yet. Um, but just what happened on May 6th, 2020, is that I got to see my baby girl come into the world. Like I got to see life enter into the world and God did that. But part of me was like, and I was a part of that. So I'm like, that's crazy. And seeing her breathe and cry for the first time is just absolutely amazing. So really a breathtaking moment. But let me tell you something that's even better. I'm not just saying this because my wife is here for brownie points. Um, I remember this moment um, at our wedding. What's typical for the groom to be waiting um, for his bride to, to come down the aisle. And, and usually, especially in the modern day, um, we've kind of left the traditional uh, hymn. And maybe there's some, we kind of chose uh, just some, like a really beautiful song in the background uh, to be playing. I think it was called Where I Land. Is that right? Where I Land? Yeah. And so I don't remember the artist, but beautiful song, kind of a tear-jerking type song. And so I knew, okay, I'm standing there at the, the typical whatever, you know, I knew like this could be an emotional moment. I, like, I, I'm a crier. I'm, a, I'm a, just a big, soft teddy bear. Um, and so I knew that was a possibility. What I didn't know is how quite literally breathtaking this moment would be. And here's what I mean. Uh, tears start to kind of stream as music's playing. I'm seeing Caitlin walk down the aisle with her dad. But what I'm trying to do I'm okay with the tears. It's it's the audible sobbing that I'm trying to avoid. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it just sounds ugly. It's like, I look ugly. I don't want to sound ugly too. You know, like uglier than normal ugly. You got me? You know what I'm talking about? And so this is my wedding. I'm sure she would appreciate a great picture where like my face isn't turned inward from crying and making bellowing sounds that no man should make. Um, and so I'm trying to hold the audible sobbing back and and, and, and trying to hold my breath in, and all of a sudden, while she's walking down, this beautiful moment, everyone's turned, looking at me, I go, like that. That came out of me. Because I'm trying to hold in the tears. Like, and her mom, so her mom is like, seeing, look at her, and she turns at me like, what the heck, you know, like, what just happened? And I'm like, I'm embarrassed, but in the moment, literally, that, the, the gravity, the glory, the beauty of what was happening, um, it just hit me in a way that I, I can't explain. I don't think I've done that again. I hope not. It's not like a regular thing. I'll let you know if I do, but literally just breathtaking. It, it was hard to like physically breathe because of the beautiful weight and glory of that moment. Do you know I've never... I've never done that at a worship service. I've never felt the weight and beauty of God's glory in a worship service to where it literally took the breath out of me. And I I, I wonder if you relate, because as as beautiful as that was, like I'm going to acknowledge, that may have been for brownie points, I'm just joking. As wonderful as that was, it was a good and glorious thing. The best beauty that that moment had to offer is but a shadow, but a foretaste of the the glory and the beauty and the weight of getting to encounter God on a daily basis. Y'all with me? You see what I'm saying? You agree with that. And that to me is very convicting. I can't remember a time where I really tapped into the magnitude of what we get to do here in this place, encountering the glory of God, where my heart's affections, as I prayed for us tonight before, were so stirred up and solely fixated and focused on, all that I wanna do with my life is to bring glory to God because he is glorious. And so my hope and goal for us tonight, and even for myself, is that we leave here tonight, maybe taking a step toward that. Maybe to where we're, we're a little bit more stirred up and orienting our lives the way we think, orienting our hearts towards God's glory. Is that fair? We do that tonight? Lean in that? Awesome. And so, what we've done, I hope you all have enjoyed it. I've, I've really, really enjoyed this five series. And because this is our last Tuesday night gathering of the summer, I had to kind of time it. We fit really five core truths into. Four weeks, this being the fourth. And so the first week we talked about scripture alone, that really God's word wins, right? Jesus gets the final word and his word. We move to Christ alone, that it's only through Christ that we can be saved. It's not Christ plus anything else, that Jesus plus nothing in the Christian life equals what? Everything. And last week we talked about grace and faith together. And I believe what we really did and displayed from the text is that we saw that God alone really gets the glory for our salvation. That it's by grace, his grace that he puts on us. And how do we obtain access to that grace? Like by doing a lot of stuff? No, just believing, just having faith in that. And so I think what we did last week is we demonstrated, man, God deserves all the glory. I didn't think of a plan of how to save myself. Like, that's weird. No one could have done that. God thought of this plan for us. And so what you need to know is when we talk about glory alone, we look back at the Protestant Reformation, this doctrine that came about, really, the essence of it was saying that God alone gets the glory for your salvation. You take no credit whatsoever. You as a Christian, you're not boasting, you're not saying, yeah, well, I did this or that. No. He gets all the glory, all praise to him. So when we worship, when we surrender, that's what's kind of happening. We're making a physical expression of saying, I needed you and you did this all for me. Does that make sense? And so what I think, because we've already covered that, here, here's the question I think we need to ask tonight. I, I, I want us to flesh out what would it look like if we truly embraced this doctrine of glory alone? to God be the glory. Another way of asking this is very simply, how does a Christian glorify God? Pretty basic question, right? You've heard that pretty essential question to ask. But when you step back, it, it seems obvious like, huh, yeah, that's a really important question to ask. That seems to be like one of those, like at the end of my life, I'm probably going to maybe conjure up the question, how have I glorified God with my life type thing. So let, let's start now. What would our lives look like? What would others see in us? What would God see in us if we were glorifying him? And that can be a long list, but we're gonna focus on five really core things that I think are true. If y'all would turn with me to Romans chapter one, we're gonna be in five different, um, really either a, a verse or very, very short passages, five different ones tonight. Remember, our goal is to walk away tonight, maybe stir it up just a little bit more Carrying, and orienting our lives, centering our hearts on glorifying God. What, what does this look like? So Romans 1, 18 through 25, we're going to get an example of what not to do, okay? So here it is. This is talking about us before we, we met Christ. It says this in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him. As God, or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. You know what God gave them in verse 25? He gave them up to what they wanted. And that's some of the worst things that we can happen, that God would give us up to what we actually want. <laughs> we actually want God to intervene. <laughs> and so as we look at this passage, what we see, how does a Christian glorify God? A Christian glorifies God by doing the opposite of what was happening. By acknowledging him as Creator. You see, the essence of what happened is that we apart from Christ, we will worship and serve what is created versus God. That's our default. We will revere glorified, created things. Verse 25 says, we exchange the truth about God for a lie. We we chose lying. We chose a deception. And we worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. And here's what we like to do in this, y'all. Y'all familiar with this idea we like to pick on countries who have physical man-made idols I mean, literal phys- physical idols you can go and see them and touch them you can see people praying or offering money or burning money whatever they're doing and we like to pick on them and say yeah that's that's what Romans 1 is talking about but man if we think we're exempt from this here in Lubbock Texas tonight man we've we've been deceived how, how about how about the idol of self man there's a good place for knowing and learning about yourself and, and self-care, but golly, man, you want to you want to make a living, just become a good self-help author. Man, we love talking about ourselves. We love ourselves so much. Like I said, good place to, to know about ourselves. No matter our psychology. Like I'm an Enneagram 3. I, like, I, I, love, I love talking about that stuff. That's good. Man. We worship ourselves. We, we idolize relationships, friendships. We get ourselves in situations in college, in young adulthood, later in life, whenever, because we idolize a relationship and that relationship calls the shots and, and, and not God. We, we date people because what we want in our hearts out of someone versus what we want God to do in our life wins go on and on we 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 idolize education we idolize money and and success and that dictates all that we do i did did the math here right? it was basic math i don't know if you knew this but um the largest worship gathering in lubbock this past fall pre-covid you know where it was it was at jones at and stadium on a saturday afternoon y'all you know that Lots of people hooping and hollering for their team. I love football. I grew up here. You're like, whoa, man. you touch football in West Texas, people get angry. Like, that's that's stirring up an idol, all right? Hey, I get it. I love football, too. But how many of us went to that game or those games screaming, hollering, all excited, and stood dispassionately and disinterested in worship the next morning? Guys, we have idols. Our hearts are in the wrong place so often. We're not off the hook. And so what what does that mean? Does Cole say that to be mean and a boy, No, because it's true about me too. I can so often do that. And so what the application for us is, is we need to actually check our heart. We need to identify those idols in our life and cast them off. We need to see the lies that, that we've taken in and embraced, that we exchanged in place of God. And put him back in his rightful place. He, he made us. He's our creator. And kind of going back to that, some of you are like, hey man, I just, I just don't feel as comfortable getting excited in a worship setting as I do a, a game or a concert or wherever. There's things, and man, I, I, I see what you're saying, but let's, let's kind of look at a biblical principle. Matthew 12, 34, it says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so from that idea, what I'm going to gather is that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will yell and, and cheer. Out of the abundance of the heart, we become fans of things. We become enamored with things. We become just kind of like at my wedding, feeling the glory and wave of that moment. It's because something that's happening there holds a really high place in our heart. Out of the abundance of our heart, we worship God. And so when there's a lot of noise coming out of our mouths... venues or games or concerts or wherever we we like to get excited about things and there's not much noise coming out of our mouth as we're praising our creator through song i think we got to check our heart i think it's time to repent and cast those idols off it's to put god not that he needs us to do that but in our hearts put him back in his rightful place and so a christian get this lean to this it sounds simple on the surface Oh my goodness! We have to do this. We have to acknowledge Him as our Creator and worship Him rightly as our Creator. And so here's the thing: if He's our Creator, left with some. We're on the bad news section right now. If He's our Creator, what that means, logically, we are created by God for God, and we sin and fall in sort of His glory. That's Romans three twenty three. Kind of basic Bible verses. You, a lot of us learn growing up. If that's true, then there must be more than just acknowledging him as Savior because that relationship that we should have with him was severed. And so go over to John chapter 20, verse 30. John chapter 20, verse 30. John tells us the purpose of this book. Your your header right there on 30 and 31 should say the purpose of this book. Isn't that cool? Like he's telling you, we don't need commentators to tell us, well, this is why he wrote this or that. John is saying, this is why I wrote the book. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. Friends, a Christian glorifies God by believing in the gospel. I would actually say that's where it starts. Like if you haven't believed in the gospel, if, if God has not saved you, you're not glorifying God. So the most pertinent way in which you can do that is to believe in his plan of redemption for you, how he's entered into our space and, and provided a means that we could be reconciled to him John so explicitly says, so that you would believe. This is why these truths exist, not just to say, oh, that those are some cool stories. Man, I, that'll sound, that'll put me to sleep at night. That's a cool, sweet story. No, to believe it. And this glorifies God because what we're basically seeing in the gospel is we're seeing who God is, who we are, and what we need. So Tim Keller summarizes the gospel like this. He says, the gospel means God, you can summarize it like this: God saves sinners. So God, creator, in the beginning, before, before, outside of time, infinite, glorious, beautiful. And we're, and he created us. And what, what was the need for saves? Well, we kind of messed that up, right? And so he enters into our space, Sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sin, rise from the dead, conquering sin and death for all eternity. He says, just believe in me, believe in who I am and what I've done, and you can be saved of your sins. So that's the saved part. And then the sinner's part, that's us. That's who God saved. He met us in that place when we were sinners. And that's what you have to believe. God saving sinners is a way of identifying who God is, who we are, and what we need. I, Caitlin and I have a friend that we met overseas, and her name was Rita. And we met her after she became a believer. But what was funny is that for many, many years, Rita was very hesitant to actually believe in the gospel. She knew it. She probably, she's a super smart girl. She probably knew the gospel better than some of the believers in there. Probably articulated better. Did all the churchy things, did all the Christiany things. But we were, asked, like, she was asked, hey, like, do you believe this? No. And they would say, well, what do you think Christianity is? How can you explain the faith? And she would just get it perfect. And they're like, why don't you believe it? And then finally, one day she did. But here's the thing Rita was doing all the right things except for actually glorifying God by believing in the gospel. It's, it's a gift to us. Take it, receive it, believe in it, and embrace it. And so, our application for tonight this may only apply to, to some of us in the room. I hope, hope only some, especially if you've been coming here a while. If you haven't done that or are unsure, I think it's time to glorify God by, by saying, God, I know who you are. I know who I am. I see that. And, and I know what I need. It's you. And you're like, is it really that simple? And I say, Yes. At the heart of what believing in the gospel, how it does it glorify God, it's basically you finally admitting, I need you. How many of you have trouble asking for help in this room? I have trouble asking for help. I, I, I don't want to, I'm gonna do it myself. It's it's where and, and how much of a blessing is it to people in our life that love and care about us when we let them help, right? How much more on an eternal scale is, is that for God? It's the ultimate reality check. You're finally in tune with what's actually happening. You need help. A Christian glorifies God by believing in the gospel. And so I feel like there's so many other ways we can glorify him, but we we can't miss this next one. It's it's obvious. Go over to Hebrews 12, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. And let's look at this. I told you we're going to be in lots of different places tonight. Hebrews 12, 28, one verse. By the way, if you're a note taker, um, great verses to remember. If you're ask the question, hey, where does it say we're supposed to do these things or whatever? Just a real practical thing to hold on to. So Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28, it says this. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. I read 29 because it's just a really cool verse. Our God is a consuming fire. Hey, do you know what they No one will ever say about me, no one will ever say that that Cole Rhodes is unshakable, undefeatable, unstoppable. That's just not a characteristic that me, nor you will ever have. But God does. The one who created us, the one who is actually unshakable, his kingdom is undefeatable, unstoppable. We sing that song, Unstoppable God, Let Your Glory Go, on and on. Don't you think that 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 God we're talking about, the one true God, ought to be approached with acceptable worship, with reverence and all, whatever that means? What does that mean? Let's talk about it. Acceptable worship. It means well-pleasing. It's asking the question, is the way I worship God throughout my weeks in corporate worship like this on Sundays, is it pleasing to him? Reverence and all, what we're doing is we're beholding God, kind of like I described in, in the scene in my wedding. Like, we're beholding him for who he truly is. He's, he's glorious. One of the, the commentaries that I read is it's like, there's also this caution element. And it's not that you're fearful of God, like, oh, no. It's that you, you realize the magnitude of what's happening. They, they picture you carrying a super expensive vase around in your hands. You're kind of just walking like you, you don't want to drop it. You know, it's like someone's told you this is really valuable vase and you're kind of just, you're almost like trembling because you don't want to drop it and you set it in its rightful place. Again, not fearing God, we can enter into his presence with confidence, but that's, that's the idea. There's a reverence in all. Kind of like literally, not in the, in, the, um, in the profaning his name way, but literally, oh my God. Harold Best is an author that writes a lot about worship and he said in his book, Unceasing Worship, he says that we are always worshiping something you ever think about that isn't that crazy we're always worshiping something and so um, he he defines worship as this that it is a continual outpouring of all that we are all that we do and all that we will ever become so basically our our existence all that we are all that we do all that will ever become in light of who god is he said that's what worship is or the god that you choose of what you worship and so a lot of times we like to think of ourselves, um, maybe we're like, I don't know if I outpour like this fountain or whatever. I'm kind of more like a, a squeaky faucet. I'm just kind of like barely leaking. I don't, I don't worship a lot. No, we do. And really the picture is we're like a broken sink. Have any of y'all ever had a sink broken or like a faucet that just busts and it's like spraying water all over you? You know what I'm talking about? Like, Every movie at some point has to do something like that. You know, that effect, like just add some great humor, right? And so it's just gushing out, like water's just shooting out. That's kind of the picture. That's how we are right now in a spiritual sense. And I hope it's towards God, but hey, like I get distracted too. I get it. Like you may be on Instagram. That's cool. But you know, not cool actually, i Um, Like you right now in a, in a spiritual sense are gushing out worship. I am gushing out worship. Again, hopefully to God, not to please men. Man, that's crazy to think about, isn't it? And so the application there is that we need to be overflowing with worship for God and God alone. Because either way, we're constantly gushing out. What that may look like is, again, going back, check your heart. You notice notice how you pour yourself sometimes into, into, into job, into relationships. There's a difference between loving someone and worshiping someone. You see that? And so I, I, I know, like, maybe you're like, man. I still, I'm still just offering up a little bit of worship. I, I, don't, I don't think I'm overflowing. And whenever I come into to worshiping God, I feel like that, that faucet that's busted you're talking about, I feel like that dials back. And, and then for God, my worship to God is that squeaky faucet. Just, just a little bit, I'm not pouring out. And that's where I would say, join me, okay? Join fallen, broken sinners in in praying. God, help me offer to you acceptable worship. God, help my heart want to worship you. Help me have reverence and all. Pray Hebrews 12, 28. I'm dead serious. Pray it. Let's pray it right now. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would let us, God, teach us to offer you worship, that is acceptable, acceptable to you with reverence and awe. God, you are an awesome, glorious God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. See, there you go. You prayed it. A Christian glorifies God by worshiping him. So quite naturally, as you've seen thus far, part of glorifying God is, is hard work. It requires an active sort of obedience and intentionality. To us, it's going to require a change and transformation. So let's flesh out what that means for us. Y'all go over to 1 Peter chapter 1, 14 through 16. 1 Peter chapter 1, 14 through 16. It says this As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now some of you, I, under, I understand, maybe younger Christians who just never really try. You're like, man, I don't really like the Old Testament. I like the New Testament. But guess what? Peter right here, quoting straight from the Old Testament. So it's very clearly, man, same truth of God, just One's old covenant, one's new covenant. It's not outdated, it's whatever. It's all of God's word. And Peter quotes from Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44. When he says those words, like you shall be holy for I am holy. So God's standards for holiness from the beginning hasn't changed, but get this, in Christ, because of who we are in Christ, we've been washed clean and made pure before him. But then what do we do? We don't waste that. We walk in that holiness. We actually pursue it. So a Christian glorifies God by pursuing holiness. The essence of it is this. God is holy, so we're holy. Our creator is holy, so we're holy. The one who made us is holy, so, so we're holy. How, how weird would it be to see, I'll just do like a truck that I really wanna, wanna have someday, like a, a brand new, like, let's say 2021, like Toyota Tundra, like, like Toyota made this, but it's, but it's ref- acting like a Honda. Let's just say that's weird. No, no offense to your Ridgeline Hunter. You know what I mean? Toyota's better. Sorry, man. Um, but it's, it's made by Toyota. That's its maker, but it's reflecting the image of a Honda. Well, I'm not buying it. That, that's the piece. Of, I'm just joking. But that would be weird. That'd be a weird concept. And so that's what happens when we are maker God, he is our maker he's our creator and we reflect an image or reflect something different than who he is and so what we do because he's holy we're holy it's the idea that we talked about in our first Corinthians series that we are a temple of the holy spirit though imperfectly people should be able to look at us and get a glimpse or a little bit of a taste of the beauty and glory of god again imperfectly people could kind of look at us and say man I, i want to know what's going on inside of them like that's beautiful what is that? I want to kind of stop and, and talk to them. Like, man, what, what's going on in your life? And so here's something super practical. I, I thought about this. Um, I, I hope this resonates with you. Um, many of us don't realize this, but when we talk about pursuing holiness... We're talking about running after God, keeping our eyes fixed on the Lord. We've been in our Colossians series. And if you started with us in that on Sunday, um, you've you've noticed the eyes, fix your eyes on Jesus. And here's what that kind of looks like. And so what you're doing is you're kind of running and you're pursuing holiness. You wanna please God with your life. And what happens over time is you look next to you and there are other people close to you in your proximity and they're also running and pursuing Jesus. You see that? And so the way that I think God has designed it is God wants those people to be your friends. God wants those people that are around you pursuing Jesus, not pursuing you, but pursuing Jesus and his holiness to be your friends. I think he wants those people for you to choose from those people and who you date and who you may someday marry if God has called you to do that. Y'all see where I'm getting at? You find, you find maybe a future spouse that's not pursuing after you in that season, but they're pursuing after the Lord. And because you're doing that too, you see that as beautiful. And so this is actually a very practical application for you. It simplifies things for you. If you're running and pursuing after Jesus, be in close proximity with those that are also doing that. Because what they're going to do is they're going to help you glorify God all the more. Do y'all see how practical that is? Like God is smart, y'all. Like, He's he got this figured out. Like He knows how the world works. And so, friends, we, we, we have to pursue holiness, not only for the practical means, but guess what? We must pursue holiness because sin is also always pursuing us. If we aren't killing sin, sin will be killing us. But when we're in pursuit of holiness, what Romans, uh, sorry, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, we've been in the reading plan uh, through South Crest. We read this recently. It says that we should lay aside every weight and sin that clings closely to us. I'm popping. Um, lay those off and, and run toward the prize. Run toward the prize. Pursue Christ. Pursue holiness. And some of us are like, man, I, I don't want to put in the effort. That sounds really hard. <laughs> but what this boils down to, again, a check your heart moment. When we aren't, as Christians, when we aren't pursuing holiness, what it boils down to is this. That we want to use God, but we don't got, want God to use us. Does that make sense? We want we want to be like a a parasite on God to, to suck him out for all of his benefits, to use him for all of his benefits, but we don't want to be used by him to glorify him. Hey, God glorify me, but I don't, I don't want to glorify you. We want to get close enough to God to be blessed by him, but not close enough to be transformed by him. Y'all see the difference? Just, just get close enough to kind of throw that to me, but I don't want to get too close. Bless me, but don't change me. Don't shine the light of that relationship this the light of your glory on that relationship I shouldn't be in or that stuff I do in the dark. But oh my goodness, I, I'm with you here. We, we need God to do that because Christians, if we're the real deal, we will ultimately want to be holy. We will pursue Christ. We will pursue him. And so a Christian glorifies God by pursuing holiness. So many other ways. Y'all hanging in there? Y'all awake? You good? All right, so many other ways we could look at But I want to tell you the last way that we're going to look at we can glorify God and I believe is largely, largely responsible for the reason you're sitting in this room right now. So what I mean, if Christians from the beginning didn't do this very thing, I don't think we would even have this room. You enticed? You want to know? Go to Psalm chapter sixty seven. Psalm chapter sixty seven. I'm going to read the whole psalm. It's only seven verses. It says this. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. As I'm looking at this psalm, I center in on verse four. It says, let the nations be glad and sing for for joy. So what, what does a Christian do to glorify God? What, what is God going to be seeing us? What, is, what are others going to be seeing in us? A Christian glorifies God by proclaiming the gospel to everyone, everywhere, every chance we get. Now that's a pretty bold statement. So let me unpack that. What we're talking about, okay, what, here, here's a table. So I'm gonna, what, we're, what we're putting on the table tonight before God is we're asking the question. Not like from easy to really hard. Hey God, where can I kind of land in the middle and... and, and and how can I live for you, but it doesn't get too hard? Like, No, that's not what we're asking. God, how can we get grant to you maximal glory with our lives? How can we be spent for you? How can we look at how Christ gave of his life for us that we might live, and in response to glorify you, say, God, you get everything. You get all of me. My hands are wide. My arms are wide open. I'm saying what must what do you want to do with me? and so that 's what 's on the table tonight, and so we orient our lives to make sure we 're talking about our Creator who saved us. We orient our lives to make sure we 're talking about the best news ever. But like this isn 't Fox or CNN. like this is actual real news that happened. that's the greatest story that 's ever been told. This is something that you want to tune into. And we orient our lives to make sure everyone has heard this news. Y'all, y'all hearing me? So that's what's on the table. We're asking God, how how do we do that? And so when it says, let the nations be glad, that means all nations being glad with the joy of the gospel. That's, That's our target. That's what we're aiming for. We want verse two to happen. It says, for his way to be made known on earth. We want his saving power to be made known. But the problem is, you see the contrast. All around the world. Instead of let the nations be glad, what we more see is let the nations be mad. You see that? Let the nations be sad. This is another rhyming word. Let the nations be bad. Whatever. It's not glad, right? We're not seeing that. God's working. But when we see this is the vision, this is reality, this is what we're aiming towards. There are plenty of nations, there are plenty of people that don't even have access to this gladness. They have no idea what we're talking about. Places of which we we don't even have a way to learn their language. Like we can't even, even if they heard about this in their language, they're like, what's that? I was thinking about this. Um, Did did y'all know that there are people that have like been in war, like soldiers that have been in war? and they were never told that the war was over? You all know that? Now, if, you, if you know anything about war, like we, it's portrayed in some different ways, like if you talk to anybody that served, man, and they'd have to be really unique if they wouldn't tell you, it was good news when I was told I got to go home. You know what I mean? Or at least it was good news when I was told that the battle was over, right? So uh, what was discovered a few years ago, a few years ago, it's maybe been 10, 15 years ago, but um, it was discovered that there were two Japanese soldiers that were fighting in World War II and they were hiding in the jungle in the Philippines. That was one of the areas where where war was happening. For 30 years after the war was over, 30 years, they were hiding in the jungle because they were never told the good news. You don't have to fight. Now it was bad news that they were defeated. But they didn't have to fight anymore. They were, they were never told, "Hey, the, the war's over. Like, you can go home." Man I, that's what's happening around the world today with the gospel. All around the world, there are so many people living day after day after day in a fallen, sinful, broken world, and they don't know that because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross that the war is over. So if that story moves you, think about the greater reality and what our task is. When we're putting on the table, God, how can I glorify you? And what God wants to do is use us to declare the good news of the gospel and telling people, hey, the war is over, the battle is won. Christ said, it's finished. Jesus has won. Isn't that beautiful? Here's another story that's a little bit lighter. Okay, so growing up in a small town, what happened is that the clothes you're supposed to wear, the music you're supposed to listen to, the things that you should know that keep you relevant and cultured, of which I am not cultured. If you think I am, I'm just, I'm not cultured, all right? I learn about things from you guys, you tell me, and then I just, I kind of pick and choose, all right? What I like, what I don't, I'm just joking. All right, and so, But these type of things, how to stay relevant, how to know what's, what's the right thing to, to do or wear or whatever, music to listen to, those type of things were always very late to come to Sweetwater, Texas. You know, in a small little town, two hours east of here, what happens is, is people from out of town would come in maybe from Dallas, like the big city, right? Um, and, and they'd be wearing clothes that you hadn't seen before. They'd be talking about music that you're like, What? They'd be like doing things. They're like, man, that's, that's cool. Like they're from Dallas or, or Austin or whatever. I got some Austin peeps in here. Y'all are still cool and you're weird. Um, <laughs> and so you can imagine me as like, you know, learning, man, NSYNC isn't cool anymore. You know, it's like 2005. It's like, I guess I'll go burn all the CDs I just bought last week, you know, and I'm dating myself talking about CDs. Here's the connection there. Uh, news travels fast. It's kind of hard to keep up with those type of things. But man, gosh. Jesus has been risen for two thousand years, and people still aren't up to date. Man, do y'all, do y'all, do y'all see what I'm saying? That do y'all kind of want to do something about that. This isn't n- new news. <laughs> This is 2,000 years. The church has been thriving, existing. And so what I'm saying, tap into this. If it's a story of the soldiers, if it's a funny story about me growing up in Sweetwater, not being relevant, whatever you got to do to remember that in your head, get a physical picture. Hey, this is going to exist until the church cares about Psalm 67 happening. That makes sense. The good news is, is that we have been caring. The church has cared, and we sit, and we're the seats that you sit in right now. What we decide, this generation, we decide if these seats exist fifty years from now. Does that make sense? How we obey this, we de- we decide how much Psalm sixty-seven becomes a reality in our world in the next fifty years. So we need to arrange our lives and our resources to make an impact upon this reality. In other words, we're asking, God, how can I join you in the work to see the nations be glad with the joyful hope of Jesus? I've heard the response so many times, man, that's like, that's like for missionaries. I, I get it. I'm just a normal Christian, right? None of you are going to say that to me after tonight. I'm just joking. You know what I say to that? My goodness. Okay, no. No. <laughs> We, we are called as God's church to spread his glory among all nations. Some of us move around the world, but a lot of us, you know, you're know, right, you right, we won't move very far. But that's where you, right here, you look around you, you love your neighbor, you see lost people. There's, there's lost people in Lubbock, you know that. I'm not picking on any of you, but every statistic I read, when it says every time the church gathers, there's a certain amount of people like lost, even in this room. Some people right here, they're not confident in where they stand and if they're going to go to heaven when they die. Right here in this very room. So there's important work to be doing, but what you also need to do is you need to be praying and giving and using your resources to support those who are taking the gospel around. And look at this, this is even better. Some of you are truly called to go, and I got good news for you. I, I, I know some people that can help you do that, all right? That's, that's a wonderful part about where I've been. And I'd love to talk with you, but look, I know a lot of you are like, I don't know if that's for me. Listen to this. Many of the nations are here. Do you know, we, we got a call during COVID about churches. They, they were asking us, hey, there, there are a lot of international students that can't go home because of COVID. And they don't really have anywhere to go or stay. Some of the, the issues with, with dorms and like, like there's an issue with, with food and all that. And their families overseas, a lot of them are dealing with the pandemic. The, the economy down like, brokenness happening around this. They, they were asking, hey, is there a way that churches can step into that? And so let, let's break this down a little bit. Students from other nations have come here. They're stuck here. They can't go home because their home is somewhere. I'm speaking simply, that's not here, which means that their home is somewhere that likely doesn't have as much access to the gospel. Likely. There's, there's a lot of friends that we have. There's a lot of people that we see day in and day out That live here specifically on campuses because and home for them is another nation nations by and large that are not glad with the gospel and so you can this fall check this out by God's grace barring whatever happens with COVID but we can still do it it may look weird but we can still step into this this school year when you go back to school, realize the nations have come to us. Introduce them to the one who has made you eternally glad. Isn't that cool? Don't, don't buy a plane ticket. Just go, go to the sub. Go interact. Iraq. Don't buy a plane ticket. Just go to Greek Circle. Don't buy a plane ticket. Just look around. Open your eyes on campus. And so a Christian glorifies God. By proclaiming, though imperfectly, the gospel to everyone, everywhere, every chance we get. Now as we close tonight, I want to give you a few questions you can ask to kind of process this. I want you to just have a a weighty teaching on God's glory and not walk away with some good questions. So here are some things I want you to be thinking about. I'm not asking for a show of hands. It's not to single you out because I can't, I won't even say a name because I don't know the names of, of who might be in here and not confident that, for example, when they die, they're going to heaven because they've been saved by God. But a question I would ask you is, have you ever given God the ultimate glory and acknowledged him as your creator? Have you ever found in Jesus the good news, the gospel, that he paid the price for your sins that you might be reconciled to God. Have you ever ever cared about that? Ever come to a point where it's like, I'm done glorifying and worshiping myself because I make a lousy God and I'm looking for a a true God that I can trust. And I was like, man, he's right here. I, want, I finally see God for who he really is. I finally see myself for who I really am. And I finally realize what I need. I'm finally seeing myself in light of who I truly am and what I need. And the, I see that God's good and he loves me and he sent his son to die for me. He's inviting you tonight. His invitation to believe in him is valid tonight. It doesn't become invalid tomorrow. Morning. I'm just letting you know. It's valid tonight in a room full of Christians who would love to pray for you and talk through that. That's, that's a pretty good setting to be in. That's all I'm saying. And so take, maybe for some of you tonight, need to take the first step of transferring the glory that you've held onto so long for your own self and other things and transferring it rightly to God for the first time, saying, I believe in your son, Jesus. I'm finally acknowledging, I need you. For believers... I'm going to lean into you a little bit harder if you're okay with that. It's okay if you're not okay with that. Hey, listen, out of love, I'm asking all of us this question. I'm asking it even towards myself. Am I glorifying God in a way that makes it evident that I really believe that he is my God and creator? Or would people guess that my soul love and my heart, my soul affections are really about something else. When I worship God, is it pleasing and acceptable worship that we talked about in Hebrews tonight? Or is it the type of worship that just helps me not to stand out too much? Is it obvious when people notice me worshiping? Not that this about that, but if someone happened to look over, would it be obvious that your heart's affections are stirred up for the sake of God's glory? Almost where they're like, holy cow, I, I want that. Oh My goodness. What's going on in your life? And this is not a legalistic question. Just think about it. Just think about it. Is my lifestyle a pursuit of holiness or worldly pleasures? If people were to be running the race that I'm running, think about it. If people were to be running the direction that I'm running so hard after, would they find themselves in the trajectory of Jesus or something else? What needs to change based on my answer to that question? Am I glorifying God in a way that has contributed to someone knowing the gospel? Is the way that I glorify God with my life something that God has actually been using and can use so that others might know the good news of Jesus Christ? Yes or no, or something in between. And what might need to change? So I'm asking, what might need to change based on an honest reflection, based on an honest answer? I said in the beginning that God's glory is it's a lot like the, the scene at my wedding that I described where my beautiful bride's walking down the aisle. It's breathtaking. And it was, it was beautiful. It was weighty. It was glorious moment. But I said, it's, it's but a shadow of the unadulterated, unfiltered, raw, true, and radiant glory of God shining all his splendor. It's just a shadow, just a tiny little taste. So it's given, at least in a metaphorical sense, that God and his glory is breathtaking. So think about this. Take this away with you tonight. The one whose glory takes our breath away is the very one who breathed life into us. The one whose glory takes our breath away also breathed his last for us on that glorious cross. Amen? You can say amen, right? Baptist, right? Let's be good Baptist, all right. The one whose glory takes our breath away commands for all who have breath to praise and worship him. The one whose glory takes our breath away grants us the endurance to pursue holiness and run after him even when we're out of breath gives us endurance to keep running and chasing after him. The one whose glory takes our breath away sustains the very air that we have in our lungs that we might use it not for just anything, to speak the words of the gospel, to tell the story of what God has done in our life, to see that the nations may be glad, given us breath to do that, that we may see others joining alongside us, beholding his, his beauty, his wonder. glorious, breathtaking God. So friends, tonight, we're going to enter into a time of response. Here's what we do. In unison together, we behold and we glorify our glorious, breathtaking creator. Let's pray and ask him to help us do that. Father, we we open our, our hands before you. We We bow our hearts before you. We put... Everything on the table. We don't care that it's a last summer night and many of us didn't come tonight planning to be convicted or make much of a change in our life. We don't don't care about what we expected before we came here. God, we care about what we just talked about tonight. Center our hearts and purpose our lives for your glory. Oh God, we love you and thank you. Raise our voices to you, God. To raise our voices to you. May you meet us in this place. Draw us near to authentic, real, passionate, beautiful worship. We love you, Lord. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you are encouraged by today's podcast. If you'd like to learn more about the journey, check us out on Instagram or Facebook at The Journey LBK. Thanks for listening.